it's time to talk about all things mental health. This is Get Mental with Cecile Ahrens. As a seasoned licensed therapist, Cecile is the owner of Transcend Therapy and is here to inform, guide, and connect you on the big and small everyday happenings that affect our mental and emotional well-being. Cecile is passionate about making a lasting and positive impact on people, connecting them to their own wisdom and strength while having a little fun along the way. Get ready to challenge the power of your human spirit. It's time to get mental. And now here's your host, Cecile Ahrens. All the things they say should matter, corrupted by the senseless chatter. Uh Hi everyone, Cecile Ahrens here. Welcome back. I'm your host, and you're listening to Get Mental Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. As always, I hope you all are doing well and prioritizing your mental health. The subject for today is the basics of love. I'm so excited to bite into this very juicy and important topic. Why do I think it's that important? Because I think, you know, love makes the world go round. I know that sounds like a Hallmark card, but it really, really does. And it is a universal longing that we all have. It is a universal desire. And as humans, we all, you know, have our own special ways and our nuances um, as far as how we try to get this need for love met. Some of us take the long scenic route, right? And sometimes the scenery ain't so nice. So, and it's all in the quest for love, right? Love from others and love from ourselves. So the focus more um, for today is in, in the context of relationships, romantic relationships and significant relationships that you have with other people that may not be of a romantic nature. So the basics of love, that's what we're going to be focusing on, those two types of relationships. So, you know, I I was thinking about this and I was like, wow, there's kind of so many ways to go about this and there's so much literature around this and depending on your values and your faith and your school of thought, we could really like spend months dissecting this topic. But I, you know, in true get mental fashion, I really just wanted to make this simple, digestible, relatable, easy to understand and easy to apply, hopefully, in your own life. That is one of my my biggest aims for this podcast. And I hope that I, I you know, meet that goal uh, more often than not. So there are there are five basic components in my opinion um, to to create healthy love okay and these components are derived from my years of experience working with people and you know kind of helping couples and families and individuals figure out how to navigate relationships how to break relational dysfunctional relational patterns and how to be more what we call differentiated, how to have a healthy sense of self and to have healthy boundaries and to know, you know, where you end and where another begins and how to respect somebody else's 
boundaries and sense of self and values, right? So I thought about this a lot and I thought about, you know, what are those qualities that I see in happier, healthier couples and I see in healthier, happier adults, right? And what are the qualities that we end up really having to work on in therapy? And it really boils down to um, five or six main categories. So I'm going to start with the first one which is, you know, this is not an order of importance, but these are all foundational. Um, if you want to think about it that way, like without all of these things working um, in its proper order or fashion or form, you're going to run into issues with a relationship and the relationship is inevitably, you know, going to be impacted sometimes, you know, to the point of separation or divorce. Okay, so the number one, again, this is not number one, but the number one that I want to talk about is um, mutual respect and mutual trust. I'm kind of lumping them together because usually they go hand in hand, right? Like it's hard to really trust somebody that you don't respect and it's hard to respect somebody you don't trust, right? If you really pause and think about that, it's hard to trust somebody you don't respect and it's hard to respect somebody you don't trust. They they go hand in hand oftentimes. So, you know, in therapy, we talk a lot about what we call safety issues. A lot of times, trust and respect are rooted in our safety issues or the lack of safety and security that we feel within ourselves and within the world at large, okay? So to break that down even further, it usually is rooted in earlier wounding, attachment injuries, things that happened to you, you know, when you were younger, the ways you were let down, the ways you were betrayed, the ways your needs were not met, the, the ways you were made to feel uh, inadequate, the ways you were maybe um, neglected, maybe there was no overt, you know, expression um, of, of, of disdain or hurt towards you, but you just got the sense that somehow you're not a priority or you're not, you know, important or you're not significant, you're not good enough, right? Whatever that that version is for you, these safety and trust issues usually start earlier on in our lifespan and then throughout the lifespan, more injuries can happen to us um, that then reinforce that original wounding, okay? And for some, it may not start you know, when you were a child, for some of you, it may be like a little earlier on in life or sorry, later on in life. But whatever the case, there's usually um, some kind of or a combination of things that have led you to have these safety issues, these um, insecurities, the, the, the sense that, you know, you're not OK. Right. So. This isn't the same as, you know, insecurities that happen because you are insecure about a particular skill that you don't have experience in, 
right? It, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like just a deep sense of inadequacy, you know, and not feeling safe. So usually in my experience, that's where we end up going when I'm working with individuals or couples is we try to really, you know, look at some of the earlier wounding and kind of how that has shaped the way you learn to love and the way you learn to receive love, the way you manage conflict, the way you negotiate your needs. Because oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of modeling that comes into play. Oh yeah, my mom used to do that. Oh yeah, I remember when my dad did this. And and some of it, you know, is largely unconscious until you really start unpacking it and doing the work. So mutual respect and trust is super important. Why? Because without it, it is really, really difficult. And I would argue almost impossible to build love, to create and cultivate love. Love is the result, in my opinion, of mutual respect and trust. Okay, so think about it. Think of it like a house, right? The basic foundation of the house of love is trust and respect. Without it, without that foundation, love cannot stand. What would it stand on, right? That's why love is not good enough. If you've already, if you've heard of that saying before, that's one of the ways to think about that. It is not enough, okay? Because you need the other parts of the relationship to be working. And I know we could, you know, get lost in definitions of love and so forth. I'm talking about the, the, the subjective feelings of love. When we say, oh, but I really love them or I love her, or, I love him. But I don't know why we just can't make it work. I know we love each other, right? We've all been there. We love each other, but we keep running into these issues. And so at the heart of that, in my experience, is usually some version of a problem with the respect and the trust in the relationship. So that's one of the key ingredients. And if you're struggling with that in your relationship, it's really important to get help as soon as possible if you both or whoever the parties are are, are open to that because it can create more damage and more relational tear, as I call it, right? And it can start to eat at the fabric of the love. And then more problems can happen. Resentment can start to build, you know? And then there's a point in the relationship where it is too late. There's too much, you know, water under the bridge, so to speak. So um, that's all I want to say about that right now. The next element that I think is really key as well is a shared vision for the relationship. What do I mean by that? A shared vision. Well, you and your partner or you and whomever these, you know, people are that you're relating this topic to are a sense, a team, right? And if you think about a team, you're usually fighting for a similar or towards a similar goal. You're usually working towards a similar goal and that goal keeps you, right, kind of in, in collaboration, in synchrony 
with each other or with one another, okay? So without that shared vision, it's gonna be really hard to grow together, okay? Because that's the direction in which the relationship is going to take. If, you if you're not on the same page, how are you gonna move forward, right? If at every significant step of the way, you guys are at odds. So I'm not saying you need to agree about everything, but you do need to have some agreement about the big things. And if you differ in values with those big things, you still need to have some agreement about what that compromise looks like when you are not in agreement in the values department. Does that make sense? So if you have like, if you're Catholic and your you know partner, for example, doesn't, pra doesn't practice any faith, doesn't really have any of, it doesn't care, right? And, or just, yeah, just it's not important to them. And, but they have an opinion, right? About not having their child be indoctrinated with certain kind of religious teachings. That can be a conflict between mom and dad. So that's not necessarily, that's, that doesn't have to be a deal breaker. That doesn't have to be irreparable, right? But you have, so even though your values are different, if you have a shared vision, right? Enough, an, enough of a shared vision to be willing to come up with a compromise so that the end goal, right, is for the child to maybe have, I don't know, what is the goal of, of raising a child, right? That's kind of a bigger conversation, but in this Con I mean, between the couples, but in this example, right, it could be that the shared vision is that we just want our kid to have a good heart, to have good morals, to be a good human, right? If you share that vision, then you could have a compromise that could be mutually acceptable to both parties, even though the values around faith and spirituality differ. Okay, so I hope you guys are following me there. So that's why it's so important to have a shared vision because it's hard to move forward and to grow together if you're not on the same page and if you're constantly like power struggling and at odds with these important decisions. And that's why when people have similar values, the relationship tends to be easier, you know, most of the time. Of course, there's always exceptions, right? But usually that becomes a real, um, not a problem in the relationship if you're on, if you have similar principles, okay? So the next thing that I want to mention, number three important element for basics of love is shared responsibility. Shared responsibility. What does that mean? Again, going back to the team concept, that means that you care about what happens to the team. You care about what happens to the relationship. You think about the impact of your behavior and your choices on your partner, right? Because you see yourself as equally responsible for the health of the relationship, 
right? You see yourself as an active participant in the quality making of that relationship, okay? And you take ownership of the stuff that belongs to you, the work that needs to be your work, you know? That's another kind of aspect of shared responsibility is that, oh, there is a problem, I see the problem, how much of this is mine, my issue, or how much of my stuff contributes to this dynamic, and what am I willing to do about that? Because I know that it takes two to tango, right? I know that to create a problem, it could take one person to be the cause of the problem, but I could make it better or worse. Or And I understand that to solve a problem, it certainly will take both of us to do it, right? Sometimes the other person might have to do more of the lifting, the heavy lifting, right? But the other person also, you know, is still part of the team, right? If you have an injured player, so to speak, and they 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 threw a three-point shot and, and, and they didn't make it and the team lost because of it, you're still partly responsible for how that entire team performed, right? If you were playing. So that's what I mean by shared responsibility. It's really um, a very mature, conscious way to function in a relationship. And in therapy, that's one of the things we really work on. You know, we work on increasing people's sense of personal responsibility, sense of insight, personal awareness. And then usually the byproduct of that is you do end up being more what we call differentiated and able to take responsibility for your stuff and be um, be a responsible member of that relationship, right? Being really um, interdependent with your spouse or your partner or your family, you know, if if this is the type of relationship you're applying this talk to. Interdependence is a really key um, thing, key, key concept. Um, so interdependence means, you know, just if you're curious, just kind of a short, short detour on that. It's not being dependent, all right? It's not being too independent where you're just kind of doing your own thing and you're living a parallel life with your partner. It's a balance of independence and also learning how to be in relationship and and need and receive from your partner and give to your partner, okay? So, um, I, I don't really want to spend too much time on that, but that's what it looks like is that, yep, you're doing your thing, right? You are, you know, able to kind of work on your stuff. You have enough self-awareness where you could, you know, acknowledge what's what your issues are and get the help and support that you need and be able to kind of do your own thing. And then when you need help and support, you're able to do that as well and circle back with your partner and be vulnerable and ask for those needs and also be able to receive it from your partner and then also be able to give it when it's when they have needs okay so that's kind of generally speaking what interdependence looks like 
So shared responsibility, really, really key. Again, you know, if you don't, if you have one partner or both people who are not willing to um, see the relationship as their responsibility, right? And not willing to do the work um, and not see their role in the creation and how that relationship is becoming and evolving, right? Then that's going to be a problem. It, the, the relationship is the responsibility of all the parties in it um, and both parties in it and specifically in romantic relationships. And you can't just be kind of a passive participant and pawn everything off onto your partner or blame them for everything. That just never works. Never. Um, and another saying that comes to mind, as I mentioned, that is love is a verb. Love is a verb. It's an active state. It's, it's not a static state. It requires action, active participation, making choices to preserve the trust and the respect in the relationship, right? That's what can protect us is the shared responsibility, the shared vision, mutual trust and respect. Okay, so the next um, element, I have two more here that I wanted to share with you. And again, these are based from my experiences. It's not from a book or any kind of theory I read. It's just from my own work with people and my own life as well, working in my own relationships. So number four is benefit of the doubt. Ooh, this one's often neglected, but it's so powerful and can be really, again, protective. Because under benefit of the doubt comes kindness and understanding. Kindness and understanding, okay? Sounds very simple and cliche, yet I think, you know, some people really forget how critical these qualities are, especially when you're upset, especially when your partner, you know, did something wrong, whether it's big or small, right? It's so hard to have compassion and empathy and hold space for that part of your partner, you know? But benefit of the doubt means that you are willing to exercise some curiosity, a level of forgiveness, some kindness and understanding. And I know this is easier said than done, okay? get it. And the exception to this is meaning it can be done in these relationships, but I want to acknowledge and validate that if you have been in a relationship where there's been a lot of trust violations and, you know, infidelity and chronic pathological lying and abuse, this is not, <laughs> this is not the time to be doing benefit of the doubt. Okay, this is more for healthy relationships or relationships that are, you know, have, have, are, that are non-abusive. Okay, because benefit of the doubt could really get you hurt and in trouble. And it could be just like a larger pattern of making poor assessments and poor judgments of your partner if you are in an abusive relationship. Okay, so that's my disclaimer there. If you're in one of those relationships, benefit of the doubt, 
um, is not something I encourage you to um, practice as far as, you know, in, in not, not that I don't encourage you to practice, meaning I don't recommend or endorse that that's the only thing that's really going to help the relationship if you're in one of those relationships because it's not those kinds of relationships are going to need a lot more work and major overhaul and a lot of times you know the person who's doing the abuse the abusing the abusive behavior is the one that needs to get the help first and foremost and then the person who's on the receiving end of that is usually the one that needs support to help with the recovery of it all and you don't really want to keep going back to those to to that person if that person's not changing right but that's a complicated issue it's another subject i specialize in domestic violence and relationship abuse and you know we don't always recommend couples counseling in the beginning it really depends on where the relationship is at and how safe it really is most of the time you know we don't recommend couples counseling until there's enough evidence that the person who's the primary abuser is stable enough to, you know, engage in that kind of uh, work with the victim and the victim, you know, is not at risk for further victimization after the couple's counseling session, right? Because couple's counseling really only works uh, ultimately if both parties feel safe. And a lot of times in relationship abuse and domestic violence cases, the other party doesn't feel as safe because they're scared that after the session, they're gonna get hurt. So I just wanted to kind of give you a little disclaimer on that if you're listening and if that's your situation, please get help ASAP if you can. Um, talk to a friend, come up with an exit plan, you know, or come up with, not necessarily an exit plan to leave, right? But because, you know, we don't tell people to leave, but come up with a plan so that you can get some help and start to process this stuff. Um, so back to the topic, mutual respect, trust, shared responsibility, shared vision, benefit of the doubt. So benefit of the doubt is important because we're all only human and we all are going to have our flaws, our issues, right? Get mental, we all have issues and we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. Our partner, you know, can illuminate things about us, shadows in us that we didn't know about. So they were unconscious or we weren't ready to look at or nobody persisted enough to call us on our, on our BS, right? So there's that and vice versa. You also have the opportunity and the gift of doing that for your partner, okay? So these are some of the things we do in couples counseling is we look at, you know, what could be like the possible um, illumination that's happening here. What could be, you know, the positive intention, right, behind this particular, you know, feedback, you know? Um, so benefit of the doubt allows you to look at the feedback, to listen to it and receive it in a way that you can be curious, less defensive, and then hopefully open to influence. And one of the most prominent couples therapists, um, Mr. Gottman and Mrs. Gottman, um, 
You know, that's one of the big key elements that they endorse or talk about from their years of research of what makes happier couples happy and, and healthy and stable is your willingness to accept influence from your partner, right? But it's hard to do that when you're super guarded and defensive and you are not trusting their agenda and you are not giving them the benefit of the doubt, okay? And the other thing uh, where benefit of the doubt can really help is during a conflict, you know? If somebody, if your partner says something, you know, hurtful or did something um, kind of, I don't know, dismissive or forgot, right? The case that comes to mind is, you know, this person forgot the, 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 my other clients, uh, my, my client's birthday. And, and I know that's a big deal, right? But there was just a lot of stuff going on and he felt really bad. He, he seemed genuinely remorseful and was really trying to make it up to her, you know, and she really hard, she really had a hard time, you know, accepting that. And I know, you know, part of that was because of her history of just neglect and being forgotten and so forth. So it was really plugging into that piece, right? Not that it's not hurtful, but it's extra hurtful when you have those vulnerability points, right? And then you can start to really, it can take a life of its own, you know, once you start filtering it from that place, right? So, you know, the benefit of the doubt helped her, right? working on, we worked on just creating a little bit of space between her and her pain and looking at, you know, what if, let's pretend that you were able to give him the benefit of the doubt. What would you be thinking otherwise, right? What would be kind of the possible scenarios here of of why he he let you down, you know, in this way, right? So we were able to have a conversation about that and we were able to get to a place of a little bit more empathy and understanding and over time, you know, um, forgiveness. But it's a process, it's a process. So that's kind of an extreme example, right, of how difficult benefit of the doubt can be to access. But, you know, sometimes it's not that complicated. Sometimes we have to just choose it. We have to choose to give our loved ones the benefit of the doubt. Grace is the other word I love to use, right? Can you give that person a little bit more grace in the same way that you would like a little bit more grace, right? And just see what happens. See what happens, you know? And again, I'm not saying do this if you are in toxic, dangerous, risky, abusive relationships, okay? That's not what the, the this strategy is not for that not yet anyway you know and you really need to be working with a skilled therapist if, if you're dealing with those kinds of issues okay it's not your fault but you do you do deserve help and support and um we're here for you okay and if you're in california think of transcend therapy um transcendtherapyca.com there's a little plug there but if you know you're not in california you could just start just with google or your insurance company and if you have it and they they will be able to give you referrals in um your preferred geographical area or zip code okay so 
that's benefit of the doubt. The last quality that I want to talk about is drum roll, fun, fun. Yes, fun, 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 fun. Super duper important, super protective, and really just kind of this, this balm that just really just keeps the relationship going, right? Think of it as um, just the, the, the sweetness of the relationship. It's all in the fun. It's, it's all those like goofy, silly, unplanned events and memories, right? Of course, there's also planned events if you guys go on trips and, you know, vacations and dates. But there's, it's everything else in between, you know? Try to see if you can inject more fun in big and small ways, right? Try to, you know, speak your partner's language of fun. What do they like to do for fun? And reciprocate that back to your partner. Because it really is, um, again, I'm going to quote, not quote, or refer to the Gottmans. And, you know, they talk about um, love maps, talking basically like what, you know, what do you know about your partner? How much do you really know about your partner, right? Oftentimes we connect through the pain. We connect through the fights. We connect through the, what are we going to do? You know, the never ending to-do list. And we forget sometimes to just pause all of that and just try to have more fun. You know, um, sometimes you really do have to be intentional about it if that's kind of not a natural thing for you. You know, for some couples it is, or for some couples there's one person who kind of takes the lead on that. But for for other couples, that's not the culture. And so I really try to, you know, help people infuse some of that in their relationship. There's also another concept called deposits and withdrawals, right? Again, this is from Gottman. So the, that concept, simply put, is, you know, our actions and our interactions between, you know, ourselves and our partners, we're usually making a deposit or a withdrawal. So, <clears throat> you know, forgetting your birthday, right, is a huge withdrawal. Maybe not doing the dishes when I, they said they would is a withdrawal, but not, <clears throat> excuse me, not as big of a withdrawal if you, like, forgot someone's birthday. But the idea here is, <clears throat> excuse me, that there are going to be withdrawals from time to time. But if we focus on making more deposits, right, over time, hopefully, when the withdrawals do happen, that there's enough love reserves in the relationship because you've put enough deposits in there so that when there are um, withdrawals, the, the, the relationship can withstand it. It can weather the storm, right? So that's the, that's what fun is for me in my professional and personal opinion. It's those are really like huge deposits in a relationship. And then you're creating positive associations. This is where the psychology piece comes, right? You're creating positive associations with each other, you know? And so that when you think about one another and when you think about the relationship, you can, you know, you can start to think about all the good stuff first before you think about the bad stuff, right? You can start to associate more of the positive things about that person and that relationship versus 
all the problems in it. Um, and so, you know, that's why fun is so key in my opinion and so protective because it really is one of the ways you can put, continue to pour into that love reserve so that when you have some conflict, it's a lot easier to navigate and hopefully you'll have a quicker recovery, okay? So I'm going to recap. The basics of love, according to Cecile, <laughs> is mutual trust and respect, shared vision, shared responsibility, benefit of the doubt, and fun. So I hope this has inspired you today to evaluate your relationship and hopefully be able to, you know, identify one area or more that you feel that you could work on, right? And just start with one, just start with one. And maybe you need to start with the most critical one in your opinion, or the one that feels easiest, okay? But kind of do like a little inventory. Okay, where are we at in the mutual respect and trust from zero to 10, zero, the lowest, 10 being the highest. Right, that's kind of a quick way to to scale where you're at. Where are we at in shared vision? Where are we at in shared responsibility? Where are we at in benefit of the doubt? Where are we at in fun? And if your partner or partners are willing to hear it, share it with them and do kind of a little exchange of where you think you guys are. And then, you know, that would be an interesting exercise, right? And then to see where you're kind of on the same page and where you might be differing and to learn from each other or one another about why that is the experience. Why, why, why are they a five and you're an eight, right? So this is really, it could be a really educational and helpful exercise. But of course, like I always say, for long-term issues and patterns, um, please seek the help of a skilled professional because, you know, A, it's really hard to do this work without that kind of support. And B, you don't have to do this alone. If you have the resources, please make the time because your relationship is one of the biggest, if not the biggest investments you'll ever make in your life. And research has shown that one of the primary keys to happiness is the quality of your relationships, okay? You can have everything else, but if you don't have this, you're never gonna be fully satisfied and happy and fulfilled because we need each other. We need to feel this, this love and safety and security and significance. So please get the support that you so deserve. I hope this has inspired you to move towards more healthy love. Thank you so much for listening as always. I really enjoyed talking about this. And again, um, like I always say, be well, be gentle, get mental, because we all have issues. Bye for now.
Thanks for joining us today on Get Mental with Cecile Aarons. To learn more about Cecile, become a sponsor or guest on Get Mental, or if you have any questions about mental health, visit TranscendTherapyCA.com. That's TranscendTherapyCA.com. Join us next week at this same time for more talk on all things mental health on Get Mental with Cecile Aarons. Don't